Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this start grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, the third Saturday of the month. It's notes from the nursery, and we've got John Harper in with uh, the Farm's Choice talking irrigation systems because if you haven't switched over your system yet, you're kind of behind the eight ball. You might have some plants that are hurting if you didn't do it already because it got really hot a week or so ago. And it may also be the time where you're considering, all right, I don't want to increase any water use because I'm hearing about all the shortages. So what should I maybe, if it's not uh, a drought-tolerant plant, maybe just let, uh, you know, it's, it's time expire for, for all intents and purposes. Well, it all goes together, right? So the right kind of plant in the right place so it'll adapt to our environment with, you know, an efficient amount of water. And there's plenty of options, plenty of great options. If people are wanting to plant some plant material that will take less water to make it look good, Um, eliminating turf would probably be one of the first things you might want to consider, or at least maybe shrinking the turf to a to a size that fits your lifestyle or your family. If you got little kids, maybe you got dogs, you you know you probably ought to have some turf at least in the backyard. Um, for kids and dogs to play on. Uh, but other than that, you know, name the last time you went out and rolled around in your grass. And, and there are such great artificial um, alternatives if you want to have the look of grass um, that uh, that are out there. So all of that. So, the, you know, the first thing I think probably I would do if you were of mind that you need to cut back on your water usage is probably evaluate the irrigation system that you have in place today. It's certainly going to be the most cost-effective thing. Are you putting water only where it needs to go? There are a lot of systems out there that are leaking. There's a lot of drip systems and drip tubing that's out there that's 20 years plus old that's breaking all over the place, and you got leaks and water running everywhere. You may not know you have it because – it runs in the middle of the night, and it's drip irrigation. It's low pressure. So there's no fountains or water shooting out into the street like we have with when we run a lawn sprinkler. But there's water going where it shouldn't be going, and it's just watering dirt. Um, so look at your irrigation system. Turn it, turn it on. It's best if you have a partner help you or somebody can turn the valve on or turn the clock on, and you can then walk around. And make sure the plants that are supposed to be getting water are getting water. And then places that are not supposed to be getting water are not. Then make whatever necessary adjustments there are need to make. Same way with the lawn sprinklers. Turn them on. Make sure you're putting the water only where it needs to go and in the right amounts. Then measure those amounts. I would encourage everybody to go get a copy of – the AMWA publication, um, you know, watering by the numbers, it, it helps you mathematically figure out how much water most all of your plants will need to get through any time of year, let alone summer. Um, 
and you can then figure out how long you need to and how often you need to run your irrigation system to keep those plants healthy. Now, after we've done all that and we've got an irrigation system that's functioning properly, now I think we need to evaluate, do I have the right plant material? You know, is it time to maybe switch a few things? You know, maybe it's maybe your landscape's 25 or 30 years old. Now, I mean, you know what people are doing with interiors of homes that are 25 and 30 years old, right? I mean, you, you drive around any neighborhood in town and there's a dumpster about every other house that somebody's gutting a house, flipping a house, remodeling a house that's in that age bracket. Well, landscapes are the same way. They just kind of wear out. Styles change. Water requirements change. Um, you know, the... We need to take a look at that. Maybe it's time to do all that. If that's the case, then, you know, before you go spending a lot of money retrofitting your irrigation system, which you will have to do at the end of the day, you know, let's evaluate. But let's start by making sure we're not putting water in the gutter or running water uh, overnight or wherever that it shouldn't be running. And when you're talking about retrofitting your irrigation system, there's been a lot of water-saving technology introduced in that last 25 years. One of the things that comes to mind, if you're not ready to quite give up a little turf area for kids or, like you said, pets, is when the lawn sprinkler comes on and the head pops up and it's just this constant spray. And you can adjust it to go, you know, court 90 degree, 180 or 360, and mm-hmm. there's just this constant stream. Well, a Probably close to a decade ago, it seemed like they started introducing a different type of irrigation head that would shoot Correct. beams of water that would, um, one, it used less water, and two, it didn't the, – the, because it was shooting the water, if there was ever any kind of breeze, it was less susceptible to being blown on into the concrete because it was a, a heavier body of water. So it would Correct. get directly put onto the – turf so there are things you can do you know they're they're called mp rotators okay and and it you know the little nozzle actually rotates and it shoots a you know a stream of of sort of like little fingers of water that rotate so you don't have that constant mist of water out there that can get blown by the wind it's a heavier stream of water they also can operate on less water pressure so if your home probably doesn't have the same water pressure it did 25 years ago for various reasons, you can operate these heads more effectively on lower water pressure than you can, you know, a constant stream type head. So there's a number of advantages to them uh, in that respect. So yeah, if you're going to keep your turf, that's that's a uh, that's what you need to to look at is switching then to a more efficient. Uh, water delivery system head. I see a lot of lawns that have a mishmash of all kinds of sprinkler heads they've <laughs> replaced or, you know, done over the years. That also can be wasteful. You know, you're getting too much overlap of spray or, you know, or whatever. But I would certainly look into those. Uh, and you you, you kind of have to know what you're going. Go to an actual irrigation store that can help you because they make those that shoot different uh uh, lengths of of carry on the water. So do you need a you know a ten foot or a twelve foot or a fifteen foot throw? 
that type of thing. So you and, want to make sure you're getting the right head. And there's a lot of them around the valley. Ewing has a lot of them. One site, which was the John Deere, you've got Sprinkler World. Horizon. Horizon. Or, or Ewing is Horizon, I'm sorry. Yeah, Sprinkler World, um, Ewing. Pioneer. One. Do they have irrigation? Uh, some might, some? but uh, those would be the probably the main ones. Um and you don't need to change your piping system. If you've got Correct. no leaks underground, this is yeah. simply digging around the sprinkler head to have enough room to physically untwist, unscrew the sprinkler and, head. And in some cases, <laughs> in some cases, you may not even have to take the whole head out. You may just be able to replace the cap and the guts oh, wow. of the head. If it's if it's a the same depth head, you need to know what you have. I my my advice would be to unscrew one take it in, say, here's what I've got, here's the shape of my lawn, here's the spacing of my heads, what do I need? And it's a pretty easy thing to, yeah, you take them home and screw them back in. Well, that would be really convenient if it was that easy. You know, yeah, the case for the sprinkler still good? Like you say, you're just replacing the Yeah, that, that may or may not work. Uh, don't hold me to that. But, uh, you know, some cases. <laughs> Give it a try first. You can try and do that. But um, certainly it's just a matter of screwing and unscrewing. You know, once you've assembled the head, um, you know, put the nozzle in and assembled the head, it's just screwing it back in. Um, so, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Make sure your controller is up to date. That, controllers of that was I my steal next your question. Thunder? Well, well, not necessarily on the 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 date of the controller, but if you were spraying at five minutes per station on the old one. And you switch to the new head. Oh, you got to run that, them longer. You got to okay. Yeah, you got to run. You got to make an adjustment there they, because they are not putting a s- constant supply of water to that entire area at one time. Um, you know, you do have to adjust the length of time that you run them to deliver the same amount of water or a, or a, an adequate amount of water. So yeah, make that adjustment, and then you know. Look at your controller. You know, controllers are more flexible now than they used to be. You can, you know, you can run different, a lot of different zones. You can separate your landscape into, you know, running the lower water use stuff a lot less frequently than, you know, the higher water use stuff or your turf. Some people might still have everything on one zone so it you know everything has to run to the least common denominator if it's grass you know you're watering everything every other day it doesn't need it so take a look at those and they're very affordable anymore you know really need to you know spend what you used to spend on a controller so take a look at that and uh, you know switch that stuff out that's the least we should do make sure we're watering efficiently what we have as as efficiently as we can with the best controller we can put on there and not putting water where we shouldn't be putting it. Uh, follow a good, uh, like the AMWAL watering guide, and, and, and adjust your irrigation system seasonally. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's hard, quite frankly, when it's 110 degrees to overwater much in your landscape. Even low water use stuff needs a fair amount of water. The winter time though a lot of people are still running in the winter what they ran in the summer and man that's about four times more water than you need to water in the winter time. We'll talk about integrating smart technologies 
irrigation timers you can run on your cell phone or computer or on the cloud-based systems uh, when we get back because you can like i said you don't need to spend a lot on a controller but if you want to really get serious oh, you and can. control your by the minute yeah. you can <laughs> Continuing our conversation this hour with Jay Harper about irrigation systems and moving into uh, a, a robust, upgraded electronic system that you can, you know, control remotely, and it's it's incredible what technology can do. Um, and I don't know, I haven't played with all the latest and greatest at irrigation timers, but I would imagine, you know, we're if it's if we're not already there, we're not too far away from. Being able to log on to you know, your Rainbird or your Hunter irrigation portal and have each zone specific for the trees, and it's got a layout in a virtual 3D, and it'll show you like, all right, this valve is running and it's putting this amount of gallons per minute on this system, and here's the time of the year and the recommended use, and making your adjustments there, and having complete digital control of. Of your well, pool. I don't know that we have that capability on a residential standpoint. Golf courses have have had that capability. They can look at and watch what every valve station and every valve is delivering and, and control it that way. Um, but you can certainly have your irrigation controller on an app and control it. So if I'm on vacation and you know they're talking about this being another pretty good monsoon, so if I'm sitting on the beach in San Diego and I see we just got a two inch two inches of rain, I can get on my phone and turn my system off. It's amazing what two inches of rainwater will do. You know, it's not you, the same as two inches of whatever water well, supplied ground correct. or city. But just just for you know, just for hypothetically though, yeah. you could turn that system off maybe for the rest of the week and save, you know, a week's water. That's a fourth of a month. That's twenty five percent of your outdoor water usage for one whole month, perhaps. That's just one example. Um, flip side is you could you could be over there and it's been 102 or 3, and all of a sudden you see it's going to be 115 for four or five days. You could up it a little bit temporarily and then change it when you go. Just, just exactly like what you can do with your air conditioning unit if you're away and those sorts of things. So you can certainly do that. They also have controllers that you can have a weather station. Right on the side of your house, and you know it'll sense that it rained, and it'll make those adjustments accordingly, or there's enough humidity in the air, or that sort of thing. I, 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 I not sure that I, I suppose there's some people that are using those pretty effectively. The ones I've looked at are pretty complicated for most people, um, but I'm sure they'll get easier, just like technology does for all of us on all this stuff. But that is out there. That is available. So where you totally smart controller, where you just let – you don't have to do much of anything. You can just let the weather and the weather station run your system. And I know there was a time – the average rainfall in Arizona, depending on where you're at, but overall is, is about seven inches. It can fluctuate up or down. But Well, average that, rainfall in Phoenix, in, the, in yeah. the Phoenix Valley is that. And I yeah. think Tucson's another inch or two above that. It might be and, 10-ish or something, yeah. But that that's not enough – water a year to worry about working with rain sensors 
we're not, we weren't in a tier shortage at that time. <laughs> I think I think there's an argument for using every element of technology available I, I, to us at this point. Well, and, and and the water bill total is a misleading because it's you know obviously your sewer and your garbage and everything else is lumped into that. But you know when when your water bills approach or are higher than your electric bill, I don't care how much water <laughs> you think we're using. You know if I can save fifty bucks a month. You know, or, you know, whatever, that's, you know, that's, if my math is correct, you know, that's a lot of money at the end of the year. That's, you know, like 600 bucks, you know, if you just save 50 bucks a month, maybe, maybe that's unrealistic, but, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with a couple hundred extra bucks besides the fact of saving enough water, because, you know, here's the thing, if we don't do this on our own, You've been guess saying who's this gonna, for years. Guess who's going to do it for you? <laughs> you know, they're going to come in and say, okay, uh, even even numbered side of the street addresses, you're going to water on these days. And odd numbers, you're going to water on these days. And they're going to have somebody driving around that, you know, if they catch you washing your car on the wrong day or, you know, watering your lawn on the wrong day, you're going to get a ticket. And wouldn't it be nice if we... And, and, and Phoenix, I don't know how we've gotten away with not doing that already, but we have. <laughs> and, and it would be great if we could continue to not have them do that because, you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of don't like uh, the government looking into any more things that, than they have to. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you want a, more examples of those, just type in California water. And I mean, the amount of different types of restrictions in cities. And I even read an article recently that you could only water one week your plants outdoor for one hour. And there's very few trees, plants, large that, that can survive on that. Well, yeah, there, there again, you're, you're having somebody else take a blanket scenario and say everybody's got to fit in this deal, depending on what kind of landscape you have, that may or may not work. So, no, yeah, we're, we're past the point of not exploring every available technology of water savings. I, I think, like you said, it, it'll be a lot better if we do this ourselves than having to be mandated it later down the road. So, well, thanks for spending Saturday morning with us. We still have half hour left here at Rosie on the House, outdoor living hour, eight o'clock hour. And we've got Jay Harper in with the Farm's Choice. And uh, wishing you a very happy Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day Thank to you. Thank you. Same to you. And you, uh, I'm not, not rubbing it in, but you're also a grandfather now. Congratulations. Yeah, I think they have a grandfather's day somewhere, <laughs> but I don't know anybody. Yet, so, but yes, <laughs> that's more fun than Father's Day, frankly. <laughs> Welcome back to Rosie on the House and our Outdoor Living Hour. And as much as we don't enjoy uh, June for the heat, mm. uh, t- historically our hottest month here in June, but it's that heat we need that brings the rains from the monsoons. And we're expecting a better than average monsoon, which we are very excited about and hopeful for. But it's also a great opportunity to save water with 
uh, with the monsoons coming. We've, there's some things we can do for pre-emergent. Um, there's also some mulching, tree staking. There's, there's a lot to do ahead of the wind and the rain. Right. So we've talked a lot about proper irrigation techniques and proper irrigation systems. But another way to, serve, to save water and help your plants at the same time is to mulch. Um, my personal opinion, we need to get away from putting rock down in our yards and put have any place that's not covered in artificial turf or regular turf ought to be covered in bark mulch. Just my opinion. I also I think it looks better. But um, and it, probably not any less abundant than the granite that we're well, digging out with the amount of chip waste and landscape. It's all. Re- Renewable, recyclable, sustainable, whatever catchphrase word you want to use today, it, it's there. Plus, it's totally organic, and it's cooler. And no doubt, you put a thermometer out in that bark lawn yard and put one in the guy that's got, you know, three-quarter-inch rock covering his yard, and I guarantee you it's not as hot. Um, so... Even if, if and if you've got you know half an acre full of rock and I, and I understand that'd be an expensive, time-consuming process, scrape it back away from the plants at least and put three or four inches of mulch around your plants, um, even your desert plants. If you go out into the desert tomorrow and you walk around and you look at where those plants are growing, you know there is mulch below them. All of their own leaf litter and seed pods and. Everything else has collected around the base of them. Going to the forest, there's mulch <laughs> there's, around those, you know, there's pine needles and bark and everything else. That's, and you dig through that. And what does it look like when you get underneath And it's got nitrogen that? from wildlife droppings that are under there from the shade. <laughs> and, and, and when you pull it apart, what is it underneath there? There's moisture there. It holds the moisture. It saves and conserves water. It cut downs on, cuts down on weeds. And you talked about applying pre-emergent because another water conservation tool is to not have anything competing and taking water away from the plants that you are watering. Well, so, and what is every chemical weed application is still like 98% water. I don't think they – they even had two percent of chemical treatment in the water, so you got all the water that you use. Oh so, yeah, you are using some afterwards. water to do that, but it's also a whole lot less work to just prevent them to begin with. So you know, a good pre-emergent is to have a layer of mulch top of everything, and then if you do get weeds, they're real easy to pick. Real easy to pull when they're coming up through that mulchy uh, top covering. So mulch things, pre-emerge so you don't have weeds, control your weeds, control unwanted growth um, that's, that's in your landscape. It's competing with your desirable landscape plants for not only water but nutrients. Now, a granular pre-emergent needs to be watered in. If I spread it out this weekend, I mean, is it going to be okay until it rains maybe next week, maybe two weeks? Probably not. You, don't, you probably don't want to let it go more than a couple of days. Okay. And and not only granular, also the water, the spray applied has to be then enough water put on it to activate it to get it down into the soil. And I think so. A water st- saving strategy would be prepared to do that as it's raining or just you, ahead of the rain. If, if you, you can time can it, time it well enough. And then hey, if it doesn't rain, then then just go out and water it in. But yeah, and 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 of course you want to get pre-emergent herbicides on ahead of. 
rain or moisture events because that's what's going to obviously trigger the, the, the uh, annual weeds to come up once you get rain. And we do get summer weeds from summer rains. So um, two times a year we should apply pre-emergent would be, you know, kind of late spring, early summer and late winter, early spring so that we catch both rainy seasons ahead of them. Seeds are so amazing. I mean, they can sit out there on the desert floor and just be sitting there and the slightest bit of moisture, bam, it's... The, yep. the the desert can go from brown to look like it's got a carpet of green. And I don't know if you remember week. last year with the monsoon that we had, we, we had a regrow. It looked like spring in places again. It looked like we'd had a wet winter. It had done just the same thing. There was so much moisture that they had a flush, a sprout of all kinds of things that we'd never seen grow here before. <laughs> so, absolutely. So pre-emergent weed control, mulching, those are great techniques. Now, also with the sun coming in, you know, you were talking about going out in the desert and how the trees have their own mulch underneath. Well, they also grow their branches to the ground. They shade their bark. Right. And the first thing we do in our landscape is we cut them up so we can go sit underneath (laughs) them and have the shade. Yeah. So, you know, making sure our bark's protected with wraps, um, tree staking, you know, when they're grown all the way to the ground, they're very resistant against wind. You know, as soon as we trim it up, it can create lift when the wind's coming through that can topple them or create additional breakage. Yeah, so getting away from water conservation a little bit, but getting into monsoon um, preparedness. You know, so hopefully sure by the time you're here in July, we've had a couple of these big ones hit. Let's <laughs> hope. Um, you know, making sure if you have young trees that they're properly staked. You know, so they should be a double staked, one stake on each side of the tree, you know, 12 to 18 inches away from the trunk, you know, tied loosely, alternating to each stake from the trunk of the tree so the tree can bend and sway. That's how they develop strength, and you can eventually take the stakes off because it's gotten stronger by being able to move a little bit. Um, You certainly don't want to invest money in a new tree and have the first monsoon storm snap it off. Um, So properly staking young trees. If they are smooth skin type trees, so we're talking ficus, ash, citrus, those are kind of the main things. They ought to be wrapped or painted to protect them from sunburn. They haven't developed enough canopy to shade their own trunks. And if the trunks sunburn, that's just a, a recipe for a slow, drawn out death to most of those kinds of trees. If you are going to prune up existing trees so that you can mow the lawn underneath them or have a little settee of furniture underneath them or, you know, be able to see across the yard. That, that That's all okay, but you do need to protect that trunk. It just, it, it'd be like going out um, the first day at the beach and not putting any sunscreen on your body, you know. I mean, and you know, with my skin, I have to put it on all the time. I never get tanned enough to protect it, but, you know. I feel your pain. It's just, it's just um, you know, protection for that tree. And again, if you get a big mature tree, the last thing you wanted to do is to get that trunk sunburn and have it start going downhill on you. So yeah, those are those are all great. And then proper pruning to begin with, so that the the air, the wind can move through the canopy of the tree a bit. So it just isn't a big sail up there that catches that wind and boom, just 
you know, either blows the tree over or snaps it off or does damage that doesn't. And, and then looking at if the trees have gotten big, looking at, you know, potential damage to structures and houses and cars. If, you know, if you've got a limb that's precarious or a liability, potentially having somebody to evaluate that um, wouldn't be a bad idea. I've got a tree that John Eisenhower would kill me if he ever saw the way I trim it. But it's a volunteer Palo Verde. Mm-hmm. And it's growing on the north side of our arena. And it doesn't get any water uh, bigger than most trees I planted there 10 years ago. Uh, it's just a, a very great growing uh, example of, of what a native desert tree can do. But it grows into the arena, so I have to cut it up. And most of our wind comes from the southwest. Well, I leave everything on the other side of the arena natural down to the ground. So it's <laughs> as the wind's coming, it's like yeah. the perfect shade sail to knock it over, but we don't want to cut it down yeah. because it offers great shade to spectators on the ground, but we have to cut it up so you don't end up running into it, uh, you know, in your, when you're, in when the you're on the horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Sometimes it, landscape has to be practical as well as... You know, aesthetically pleasing. So. I figure it's a volunteer. I don't have anything invested in it. And I'm not watering oh, yeah. it. So, well, it, <laughs> yeah. If if it goes, I you know we lost our shade, but we didn't. We're not out financially anything. But oh, every time he talks about it, lion tailing everything, I'm like, I just hope he never sees my palaverie <laughs> on my arena. <laughs> if it was on the south side, it wouldn't be probably as big a deal because that's where most of the wind comes mm-hmm. from, and it would protect its canopy from that way. But Hmm. We're just the opposite. <laughs> Darn. But oh, well. it is a great You're testament. You're making it work. It's a great testament to just how hardy d- native mis- native plants are to the desert. The yeah. Palo Verdes, creosotes, Even saboros, some of our non-native plants, Pocatillo. it's amazing how, you know, there was years ago, many years ago, between Scottsdale and Mesa, you'd go down McDowell Road and you'd be on then the Indian Reservation for a stretch. And there was an old abandoned farmhouse on the Indian Reservation that had a bougainvillea growing on, I think, the west side of it, as I recall now. And it was just spectacular. <laughs> and you know it wasn't getting any water. Nobody lived had lived in that house for a long time. And yet there was that big bougainvillea, as tall as the house, and in full glory and full bloom, just doing very well. So it tells you, you know, how much less water things can get by on than what we're giving them, getting back to our water savings. Tips. And in that example, it's, you know, bougainvilleas can be messy, but if it's not being trimmed and cared for, the amount of mulch that it's naturally creating underneath its own canopy with the amount of bloom and leaf drop that it has regularly, it, yeah. it had a, it's a nice little, little ecosystem it, in there just really by leaving did. it alone. It really did. And I suppose at one time when somebody was living that, it was on the west side. It was shading that whole west side of that house, too. So it was also cutting down on, you know, cooling costs by shading the house. It might have been holding the house up, you know, for all I know. (laughs) (laughs) A new building material. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that brings up a whole other topic we won't really dive into today, but just brush on briefly. I saw it worded once. It was very, very well put. It's the the water power nexus because all of our energy generation 
require a significant amount of water. So energy savings is water savings as well. You got a plant on the west side of your house that's shading it, and oh. you can drop your thermostat two, three degrees, use a few less kilowatt hours uh, during the summer to keep that side comfortable. That's ah, electricity absolutely. that, that right. wasn't generated right. and water saved. Right. And I suppose if we're cooler, we don't need as much water to drink. <laughs> Who would have thought of that? <laughs> don't tell your doctor. I just told you to yeah, drink less right. water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I think there's a few trees I might let go before I cut back on the amount of water. I, I, I've got my hydro flask is 32 ounces, and I'll, I'll drink three or four of those a day when I'm not doing anything strenuous. <laughs> Wow. You, add you sure out- there's just water in that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm positive. <laughs> you, add- in my next- <laughs> you add some outdoor work into that and some landscape yeah. care. That, that jumps up pretty quick. Right. We've covered water savings. We've covered monsoon prep. We've covered pre-emergent. Uh, we've covered wind staking and the heat and mulching and microclimates. In this final segment, let's talk about what we can what we can plant. Yeah, so you know, defeat to, to uh, kind of dovetail off of the, that bougainvillea on the Indian reservation that was, you know, performing well without water and also shading the house, and then you got into that is also water conservation because we're saving energy. So well placed trees and shrubs can cut down like twenty percent on your cooling costs, and that's not my statistics. That's APSs. I would have to really put the numbers to this, but, you know, so I won't be exact, but mo- if you plant the right drought-tolerant tree for the shade, you use a lot less water growing the tree than you do generating those kilowatt Correct. hours. It's a net savings. It's, yeah. a, it's a net, total net savings for sure. So we need to kind of, well, okay, what, what trees and where? Well, some of that you might want to get some professional advice on, but certainly trees that are low water requiring. And I won't even say desert trees because there's a number of trees here like live oaks and Chinese elms and red push pistache, just to name three, that do very well on a limited amount of water. I mean, they're just about as drought tolerant as a mesquite or a Palo Verde. Um, and of course, then mesquites and Palo Verdes and acacias would, would also be in that group as far as trees. The thing you got to remember is how big they get. You don't want to plant a tree right up against the house. You know, it'll shade your house, but it might create some other problems. And you might be losing some shade in some other areas that's beneficial. But certainly our south and west sides of our houses are our hot sides. So those would be the first things we want to shade. And we really want to shade if you have to pick a spot. If you've got windows on those sides, you want to shade, make sure you're shading at least the window of that side of the house. So plan accordingly based on how big the tree gets and space them, you know, according to what side of the house we're on. South or west are preferable, you know, far enough away from the house to shade the house and the windows, but not to do any damage or cause any problems with the structure uh, itself. Um, You you mentioned don't plant against the home. That water introduction for the tree could create some foundation problems. The roots, as they get bigger, could create some heaving problems. And the limbs rubbing up against the fascia or the tiles or the shingles of the roof and if create it's a, roof problems. A vine, and it's growing on the house, but you're losing a lot of the cooling factor when it's right up against it, creating an airspace between the shade and the structure. 
is critical in that. If you can, that's certainly more efficient. But, uh, but you know, certainly if you can't plant a tree to shade the wall, a vine or a large growing shrub that will do it is also, uh, you know, a great way to go. So get those south and west sides, particularly the windows, shaded by something, a tree, a shrub, a vine, something. And then, you know, ultimately, if you want to then take advantage of you know, passive solar heating in the winter, planting a, a deciduous type tree on the on the south or west side is probably even more advantageous. Now, your list of what will work shrinks a bit, but it can it can be done. Something like again, red push pistache, which is deciduous or semi deciduous at least, Chinese elm, maybe even a an Arizona or a native type ash, in those situations would be a great choice couple options for you there. That is the one thing about our mesquites, Palo Verdes, um, Texas ebony. They're not really a, a deciduous tree. They're more yeah. evergreen. Well, mesquites can be, native mesquites can be if it gets cold enough, you know, so it depends on the winter. Um, so, yeah, yes and no on the on the mesquites. But, yeah, they, yeah, and that's not a, that's just a sidebar. It doesn't get that cold. Certainly creating shade for the hotter months is way more important than worrying about having sun solar coming in and heat. getting solar heating for our few weeks sometimes. Maybe it's a week or two that it gets really cold here. But it's another thing to, to take into consideration. So, a lot of great advice, a lot of great uh, input to think about as you're looking around your home, your landscape, your garden, and determining what's best for you, for your water consumption, for maybe updating, ensuring that you're operating an efficient watering irrigation system you know like again to, to push what you've been saying for years if we don't manage the water situation ourselves it's going to be mandated so going to do it for you and then you're really not going to like it no you're not and uh you know so we, we always you always tell people right the worst time to check your roof for leaks is while it's raining and probably the worst time to check our irrigation systems when it's our or so we're already it's raining it's hot if you haven't done it do it make those adjustments and get out there and any liabilities or problems with those systems, do it quickly. And you know what? I, we talked about smart irrigation earlier. What um, A simple one to do is put, you know, like you said, your water bill, there's all these other things that are thrown in there. Yeah. Um, you know, having a gauge, a water gauge separate just for your landscape to, to gauge how much water you're physically using outside. Well, you can do that. They do tell you how many gallons you're using. That's, of course, that's everything in your house. And landscape uses the majority of that. So you can you can isolate just your water at least by gallons. Yeah. So. And then the outdoor use, you know, it does get eventually recycled. But the benefit of most municipalities that are on hooked up to city septic or city sewer systems that water gets re- cleaned, recycled, reused. And, um, and we're doing it in a big way here in Phoenix. We're just, if you haven't driven up down 32nd Street <laughs> in Phoenix, they're running a big old line that they're taking that treated water and going to pump it back into our system. So That's what that is? Yeah. I've, I've noticed the construction there for a while, but I hadn't looked into exactly what that project was. Jay Harper, The Farmer's Choice, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Always a pleasure, fellas.